welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast. Periodically wondering why the Panthers couldn't be in the Western Conference, because if they were, they'd be in the Cup Final. I mean, apparently they're playing two different sports in the East and the West. Uh, to talk about this, and uh, now that we have had Memorial Day, we can decompress our brains after what happened last week. David Dwork, one of our favorites, is joining us to talk Panthers. How are you doing, David? Uh, not too shabby, Matt. Yourself? I'm doing all right. I, I mean, watching the Oilers-Avs game last night made me mad at the Lightning for eliminating the chance that we would have seen an Avs-Panthers Cup final, which would have been awesome. But again, the Lightning ruined everything. Well, I guess it depends on who you ask, right? Uh, well, well happy. for, for uh, our purposes, I would say the Lightning ruined everything. Well, they're good, you know? They, they could very well win uh, the third consecutive Cup which we haven't seen since uh, I was a baby. So, Oh, I fully agree with you that they're going <laughs> to win three straight cups. I don't think that the rest of the playoffs should honestly be played. No, I'm kidding about that. But yeah. I, I don't think there's any way anybody's beating them at this point. And some people are saying, oh, they're, you're overrating the Lightning. No, I'm not. Not overrating really a not. team that knows how to do that. Because if you're overrating because, the Lightning, then you're underrating the Panthers, right? Well, yeah, I, I think some people are, are talking – in the sense that the Panthers were so unbelievably bad, and I don't think that's the case at all. And I think that neatly ties us into what we need to talk about here in that series is now that we've had a little time to digest it and decompress it, and the, the rawness of what you saw is now not as raw anymore. I still don't think they played all that badly in that series, but they ran into an alienating goal and a team that was willing to block every shot, and they didn't adjust. Now, that's a problem, obviously, and we'll get to that, but that's not the worst Panthers playoff exit I've ever seen. And that's not the worst I saw them play at any point this season. Tampa was just that much better. But what do you yeah, think? I agree. I think the Panthers ran into for the second straight year, you know, they ran into, uh, you know, the worst possible team that they could face, obviously this buzzsaw, the Tampa Bay lightning. Um, I think it's good if you're trying to find a positive or if you're trying to, you know, find the glass half full or whatever, it's good that the Panthers are getting this firsthand knowledge of exactly what it takes to win in the postseason. Like they've the franchise, the players that have been here for the longest, you know, the foundational pieces, we talked about those guys, um, you know, first they had to learn how to win in general. Then they had to learn how to win consistently. Now they've learned how to win a little bit in the playoffs, but now if you want to have long success in the playoffs, if you want to really accomplish something, you want to be where the lightning are. Uh, it's a lot more, I don't want to say complicated, but it's just the effort, the, the intensity, whatever, the intangibles, all the cliches that you talk about that come true in the playoffs are things that the Panthers have to figure out how to do for themselves. Uh, and, you know, they're getting firsthand knowledge of that. It, it's going to take a, another year for us to see how well they put it, uh, put it to good use. You can hope if you're a Panther fan, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about teams like the lightning, uh, what Chicago back in, you know, before they got their three cups in six years, uh, any team that's had any kind of success, extended success has to go through some kind of trials and tribulations to get there. You rarely see somebody just show up on the scene and start winning unless your name is like Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. Um, so, or the Rangers in this case. Mm, yeah. I mean, you can make that argument, but the Rangers also have, you know, perhaps the only other alien goaltender in the league right now uh, in Igor Shesterkin. Uh, just, you know, just not to, not the, I mean, they should have lost against Pittsburgh if they had a healthy goalie, but that's not the point. Um, no, well, if the Rangers didn't have a healthy goalie, they certainly wouldn't be where they are. This is definitely true. Uh, I think that when I look at the entirety of the postseason, though, I thought after the capital series in which they didn't play particularly well, they won by brute forcing their way through a team that eventually couldn't hold up. But eventually I thought 
okay, they learned what they needed to do to beat a trap. They eventually figured out a way to do it, whether it was through individual efforts, whether it was star players making big plays at a big moment or somebody stepping up, which happens all the time in the playoffs. I thought, okay, maybe that will click into their brains now that they're playing Tampa and the opposite happened. And one of the words my co-host used to describe this was timid, which I think was one word that I liked. The other word was naive. And I think the biggest problem for this team in this postseason was they didn't adjust very well, if at all. And it's going to bring us to the coaching discussion because I think what they relied on during the regular season was this team is so good that it could basically run itself. And Andrew Burnett didn't have to do all that much to get it going when it needed to get going. He knew what he had to do, but they never really needed that much getting going. But in the playoffs, you need more than that. And everybody's going to have their intensity up a little bit higher. And eventually you're not going to play bad teams that are going to give you rope. And I think he admitted he didn't, particularly in the power play, but overall, I don't think he adjusted well at all in this postseason. And when I look at the team overall, there were a couple players that I thought had really poor postseasons, but they weren't absolutely terrible to the point where I thought, wow, that's going to be the number one reason why they lost. And when you look at all of it on the whole, I think it was a team that really didn't know how to win in the playoffs and didn't figure out how to win in the playoffs because the Capitals probably with a healthy Tom Wilson. I don't know if that series is a little different and against Tampa. I mean, all Tampa had to do was just get in front of Vasilevsky and block shots and Vasilevsky did the rest. And the Panthers had no answer for that. And I think that was the thing that concerned me the most. And I think that that is where I think a lot of the discussion lies going forward is, is it the roster or is it things like coaching? And I think in this postseason, it was mostly coaching. It's going to be curious to see uh, the decision that gets made in regard to the coaching uh, with Andrew Burnett. Uh, he took a lot of the blame after the season. Oh, I don't want to say he took a lot of the blame because what he said was he should have, he should have trusted his gut more and he shouldn't have let the outside noise get in for whatever that means. I don't know uh, whether, whether that means, you know, other members of the coaching staff uh, or, I mean, I don't know who else it would be maybe front office members, I, you know, who else would he be listening to? Certainly not the media or the news or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, you saw in Washington, a team totally shift the way they played during the regular season to try to, counteract what the Panthers did well uh, and succeeded to a point, obviously not to where they wanted to get because they lost the series in six games and the Panthers eventually were able to, to still kind of, I wouldn't say impose their will, but find success uh, in areas that maybe they weren't looking to find them during the regular season. They did a lot more dumping and chasing uh, to get their sustained pressure than we saw all year. Um, and then Tampa just basically took that up to the nth degree and, you know, the Panthers, they, they figured we did this all season. We did it really well. We won 58 games. We had more, we scored more goals per game than any team had this millennium. Uh, we're going to do our thing. Was that a mistake? Clearly. Yeah. Because they lost in the second round. Uh, they were swept sure by Tampa, but I mean, we've, we've seen them play Tampa pretty, you know, tightly contested head to head, crazy, you know, rock'em sock'em type games for the last few years now. And that playoff series, I don't think was what anybody would have been expecting going into that uh, you know, not only was it a Tampa sweep, but it was relatively low scoring games. I mean, the Panthers, you know, to their parts, three goals in four games, completely inexcusable. Um, I, I, I don't know how much I would fault Bruno for not believing 
that what they did well for so long would get them to the playoffs. Maybe you, you can chalk that up to inexperience on his part or on the Panthers as a whole, uh, because Tampa certainly, you know, well, they, I wouldn't say they changed their style of play as much as they just really tightened things up. They checked a bit harder. They moved their feet a lot more than I, you know, you saw them doing there in the regular season, the shot blocking, the sacrificing of their bodies. It was almost as though they were showing the Panthers. Yeah, look, we'll, we'll let you beat up on us a little bit during the regular season because we're saving it for now. And now we're kicking your ass. And so, you know, it kind of goes back to my first point was, you know, these are all kind of what you hope are the lessons that they're going to learn in terms of how they have to not just present themselves, but really dedicate and sacrifice beyond what you just did for 82 games. Um, I, I, you know, as, as somebody who covers the team and has followed the team for a long time, I, I'm certainly hopeful that they'll get there. They've got the young, intelligent players that they should be able to, um, in terms of the coaching, what, what is Bill Zito and Matt Caldwell, what are Bill Zito and Matt Caldwell going to want to do in terms of the style of play they want the team to be putting forth next season? Are they going to be cool with this open, you know, high flying offense, you know, maybe not certainly not the defense comparatively to the offense, or is it going to be more of a, we've got the, uh, we've got these guys that are highly offensive skilled. We want them to play a more defensive shutdown style and let their talents shine through on their own. These are the questions that we're going to have answered uh, probably in the next couple of weeks as uh, they make the decision uh, on how they want this team to be run heading into the future. The only caveat that I'll add to that, Matt, is with Bill Zito uh, making the decision, you know, we've seen him make all these amazing decisions. It seems like he's had uh, an amazing feel for this team since he arrived, right? Um, The one thing he hasn't really had a chance to do is choose his own head coach. Q was here when he got here. And obviously, you know, at that time, you know, Q was Q, Hall of Fame. He had the team on the rise, made sense. Then that whole mess happened with the Kyle Beach scandal uh, last October. You know, Bruno's given the keys to the car, but Zito hasn't really had a chance to make his own pick. Now, perhaps Bruno is the guy he would pick, but that's, you know, that's what we're going to find out, right? I think what's interesting about Brunette is when you look at how other teams that had interim coaches went on and did what they did, like Sullivan, Craig Berube, you know, things like that. Those guys had been head coaches before at some other level. And Andrew Brunette, I'm not saying that he should be, you know, absolved of blame, but let's be fair here. Andrew Brunette has only been a coach for like three years and he's been a head coach for less. So the feel of how to run a bench and do all these things that the coaches eventually get to, through years and years and years of scars and experience, John Cooper, for instance, uh, he doesn't have that. And I joked that Andrew Burnett throughout the year could stand behind the bench and do nothing. The Panthers would win because the team was just that good. And that's essentially what happened. But I mean, I think what everyone learned is that's not going to work in the playoffs. Like, okay, I guess it's working in the West, but you can't do that in the East, you know, and in the Eastern conference, you know, when you're going to go up against these teams with goalies, you know, this is what's going to happen. I don't know what it would have been like if they played Toronto instead. I think they would have had a better chance, but it's not like Toronto wouldn't have done some of the same things that Washington did or that Tampa eventually did. And I know, as I said on, on a previous show, I said, I know this is apocryphal, but if Joel Quenville was the coach of this team, he would have at least made changes sooner. Because I think one of the other things that I noticed in this series is the 2021 series was the Panthers playing with their hair on fire all the time. But they did that too much you know, the Sam Bennett suspension, right? Uh, game four, when they played like an absolute house of fire, but Vasilevsky made all the saves and then he took penalties by the end of it, right? This series felt like the complete opposite 
they they didn't do enough adjusting. They weren't willing to try to break out of their shell enough or try something different. Like like play with a reckless abandon that I think Tampa kind of played with because what I noticed, and I think perhaps you noticed this too, this team played like it had a ton of pressure on its shoulders and it didn't know how to deal with it. You know, they're the president's trophy winners, high-flying offense. They have to prove something in the playoffs. Tampa's the two-time defending champions trying to go for history, 40-year on history, and they played like they had no fear. And that, to me, was really, really telling. And I think, you know, that's the biggest difference between the series for me was in one, the Panthers played like they had nothing to lose. And in this series, they played like they had everything to lose and they gripped their sticks too tight. And that could be the players, but I think that was just a general overall thing that happened. Right. And it happened in the capital series too. And I think it comes with the pressure of, you know, growing as a team from being a team that just made the playoffs to now one that is expected to win in the playoffs, but something like that for a team that good shouldn't have happened. You know, you've got players on that team that have been through the wars and have won Stanley Cups and have been deep in the playoffs. To me, that just shouldn't have happened. We shouldn't have seen a team play that timid. Like Sam Bennett, I think, was a great example, right? You mentioned the series last year. I, I, we saw none of that in this, in this postseason. Not against Washington, certainly not against Tampa. And only a couple of players even attempted it. And Mason Marchand was hurt, and I think they missed him in this series. And Maxie Mammon didn't play enough, as far as I'm concerned. I think that was just the overall sense that I got from this series. And is that something you can learn? I, I hope so. And I don't know if you learn it during the regular season because the regular season and playoff hockey are so different games. I, uh, I, I don't know. I think what you're describing is kind of the perception that the team uh, was maybe in a little bit over their heads just because, you know, when they have the kind of success they did during the regular season and then struggle the way they did during the playoffs, um, you want to point to their faults. I, I, I think in the capital series and, and certainly in the Tampa series uh, they got confounded by very good coaching by teams that were certainly willing to change the way they played a little bit and, uh, and counteract what the Panthers did. Um, I, I didn't get a sense speaking to the players throughout the postseason that they were, you know, overly pressured. I think that the frustration that we're talking about with that from the players was more that, you know, doing everything that they had done during the regular season wasn't working and the answers weren't there. And again, that, that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. Do you point to coaching? Do you point to inexperience? Uh, you know, that's an answer that I don't have, but I, I don't know if they, you know, cause I wouldn't say that they played timidly or anything like that because they're going 110 miles per hour at, in everything they do. Uh, whether the other teams did it better, I think is what we're talking about here. I think Washington uh, had more of an impact on that series than Florida did only because Florida probably should have won that game or won that series with a lot less uh, turmoil than they did. I mean, they were an empty net, like an inch or two away from going down three, one in that series. And they, in until, and they were down three, nothing in game five. I know they did one of their, you know, typical Panther comebacks, but like that series with the way that, you saw the rosters constructed and the way the Panthers have played like that shouldn't have happened. And it started like they had those slow starts. It's seemingly every game in that series bar one, they had a, like they didn't come out of the, the blocks fast that happened against Tampa too. You know, it was just things like that where I'm the early penalties killed them. Yeah. Killed and it, them. That's every why I'm game. saying and some of it was either nerves 
or whether it was a little bit of, as I said, naivete, as I think maybe it's a better word than being timid, but there were some players that played with reckless abandon in the regular season. And I just didn't see that in the, in the overall play in the postseason. And again, maybe we're looking too closely into it because that's what you do after playoff losses like that, especially when you have a team constructed the way this one was with so many expectations. But I think it's fair to be, at least I think in general, critical of everything, because when you lose like that in the playoffs, you have to be critical of everything. And the difference between winning and losing in the playoffs is usually pretty small. And as I said, and I, I think you agree, I don't think they were really all that bad in any individual game in the tent. Like they were obviously the better team in game two and four. And we saw what happened in games one and three was a little different, but it, it was that difference between what Tampa was willing to do and what they were able to do and what the Panthers did that I think really summarized this series. And it's that next step up that they have to take. Now I'll ask you this. If you're in Bill Zito's position, would you make a coaching change? Because even if I think that Burnett, was vastly outcoached this postseason. I think getting rid of him sacrifices a little too much of what this team's good at because he was part of the coaching staff that put in the systems. And I don't think you want to get this team playing defensive hockey, you know, Barry Trotz, Claude Julian, sludge hockey throughout the entirety of the season, even if it maybe gets you a little bit more in the playoffs. I think Brunette can evolve as a coach because he hasn't been doing this for very long, but as my co-host argued, you know, do they have the luxury of Andrew Burnett growing as a coach? They don't have all that time because of the way the roster is constructed and the way the cap sheet's going. So what do you think? I, I, this is a hard decision. I would still be leaning towards bringing him back, but what about you? I think if Bill Zito agrees with you, Matt, that Andrew Burnett can grow, then you bring him back. And only Zito can answer that. But I believe that if, Look, what they did this year can't be ignored. No, and, and what he did in the postseason, even. No Panthers coach since Doug McLean in 96 had been able to take them from making the playoffs to the second round of the playoffs. There, you know, I'm not trying to discount what Z, what excuse me, what Burnett did all year at all. Um, the, the only question is, can he grow? Can the team grow? Because we've seen where they're good and we've seen where they need help. I would not want just, just as with uh, when the whole Q thing happened, I wouldn't want to rock the boat any more than you have to just because you've got so many, so many pieces already in place and they're really starting to fire on all cylinders, which we saw, you know, over the last year, year plus. Um, but if there's not confidence and, and a surety that Andrew Brunette can continue to grow in this role, because there needs to be some growth. There needs to be some accountability. He's got to be able to have the confidence in himself and in his decisions to put his foot down when he needs to, if that's, you know, something that he feels he needs. I mean, clearly there were disconnects that we saw during the postseason. Um, it's how much is that on his shoulders? And, and again, I don't mean to keep like kind of passing the buck, but these are just answers that like, they're, they're the questions I'd be asking, but I'm not the one that's getting the answers. That's Zito and Caldwell and those guys. Um, but if they believe that, that Bruno can grow, which I hope they can just because the players certainly believe in him. I mean, that was kind of a resounding sentiment that we heard, uh, at the end of the year was just, everybody wanted, uh, Bruno to come back. They loved what he did. They loved the atmosphere guys were saying, you know, I have never been on a team like this where you just love coming to work every day, no matter what happened the night before. Um, it was very unique. Now, you know, we, it can be all, you know, 
candy, candy corn and rainbows and all that good fun stuff. And, but if you don't win in the playoffs, who gives a damn, right? So that, that's the ultimate um, measuring stick. But based on what everybody, what all the players said, what Bruno said, it, it sounds like it would be an easy, be an easy move to keep him. But we know that Zito is very well thought out, uh, analytic, meticulous guy. And I'm sure that they're picking this decision apart behind the scenes uh, as we're just kind of like talking about it now. Uh, I, I'm at the point now where I've been you know, thinking about it a lot over the last week. Um, not much information out there to be had in terms of trying to figure out what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, that's kind of an, an attribute of the Bill Zito Panthers front office is they're really good about keeping things uh, tight-lipped. Um, I know that they had an instance, I think it was at the last year's draft after they made the trade for uh, Sam Reinhart, that they all threw their phones on the table and just to see like how long it would take for the news to leak out if nobody, if nobody in the room was leaking it. Uh, so they're pretty, pretty tight knit about that stuff. But um, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious because if they don't go with Bruno and if they move on, it's going to, then the guy who they bring in, that's going to, going to give so many answers into what, just provide an insight into how they were thinking about it. So, you know, in terms of like, for us wanting to know more, them rehiring Bruno or hiring Bruno, whatever you want to call it, would just kind of be, would, wouldn't give us that much information. Whereas if they brought in somebody else, we'd be like, oh, okay, now we know what they were thinking. What's interesting about it is though, like if you are going to let him go, then you have to be a hundred percent confident that the guy you're hiring is going to answer those playoff questions, which means you're hiring Barry Trotz or somebody of that ilk. Like that's the only way you could do this. And as I said, like that also means you are sacrificing some of the play that you have had in the regular season. Like we saw when Barry Trotz was let go of the Islanders. It's like some of the star players were not all that pleased, you know, playing sludge hockey for 82 games, even if it kind of works in the, in the playoffs, which is why I'm saying like, isn't there a way like, you know, Andrew Burnett can get this team to add playoff details to their game in the regular season without having to, you know, sacrifice everything to play defensive back-checking hockey when your team is not constructed to do that. No, like, you're not going to get this team to do that. It's not like there's playoff hockey for dummies that's available for coaches that don't have the experience, you know? Like, But I think that <laughs> I, it, it's one of those things where I just find it, like, some teams can just have the ability to turn it on. And, like, what does Tampa do compared? Like, how do they know how to turn it on? Other than just the fact that they've done it. It's one of those things where, like, is it innate in a coach? You know, like, do and the I guess as I said before with Quenville, like, do they win this series with Quenville's coach? I don't know if Vasilevsky plays. Like, I don't think anybody's beaten them. But I mean, they would make more adjustments. They would have changed things faster and quicker. And that's just, you know, knowing what we know to knew about Quenville and what we saw because we saw it last year. And so, it's a really interesting discussion, and it's a hard decision. Uh, and again. I think also other Panthers fans are probably wondering, you know, we don't want to see them overreact again because the history of the Florida Panthers is taking something good, overreacting to uh, said good thing if it ends badly and then chasing that decision for three, four years. And I think most people don't want to see that happen again. With Bill Zito, I'm not sure it's going to. And now the other part of the discussion I think we need to get to is the roster itself. Now there are cap decisions that have to be made uh, and we'll get into some of those. But the majority of the team is going to be back next year. But they still have to find some ways to adjust. And as I said before, I don't know where, where you stand on this, but I thought that the, one of the bigger absences was Mason Marchman in this series against Tampa particularly. And every time Andrew Burnett said he offers something, the rest of our lineup does, and I would snicker at it because I'm like, okay, sure. 
But then I watch the series and I go, okay, Mason Merchman would have at least annoyed the Lightning a little bit more. And I think, and it's not like they need guys who are you know, fighters, you know, or, or old school pugilists, but they need somebody who can get under the skin of opposing teams a little more. And they have guys who can do that, but they didn't do it in this series against the Lightning. And I think they also could use it a little on the back end too. Uh, what do you think that biggest roster need is? Because as we said before, going from, you know, a good team to a great team is one thing. And then going from a playoff team to a great playoff team is another. Oh, that, that's that's kind of tough. Cause I, I mean, you know, what, what do you want to add to this roster at this point? Like just looking ahead to next season, they, they've already got, you know, five of their top six defensemen sign, you know, Ekblad, Montour, Forsling, Weeder, Gudis, they're all locked up for, you know, at least next season. So there's only so much change you can do on the back line if you wanted to. Um, and then forward wise, yeah, it's tough. I mean, uh, the, the Marchment question is interesting, Matt, just only because like, and when you talk about like maybe missing a little bit of the fire that you saw in last, in the first playoff series against Tampa last year, like you also saw Sam Bennett getting suspended that series. You saw Ryan Lombard taking penalties um, and, and the power play is what killed them that series. So I think they had that in the back of their minds as well. And that's why maybe you saw like a little bit more of a watered down Sam Bennett than you were expecting. Um, I do remember Mason Marchman when he was in there, uh, maybe the last team that he played, he, he got called for like a four minute double minor because he kind of took a little bit of liberties. And that also was probably playing into the minds of many of the Panthers that were around last season, because those are the kind of things that can kill a game for you. Um, so it's, it's a real fine line that you have to walk. It, you know, would Mason Marchment have helped the Panthers in that Tampa series this year? Um, assuredly he would. Could he have changed it from being a four game sweep? No. Uh, you know, one guy's not going to do that. Uh, even if Marchman's popped on that top line with Barkov and whoever, uh, it was clear that, that Tampa had a very strong, I don't want to say system, because it wasn't like one system that they were running. I will maybe mindset is, is a better word just because collectively um, they just seem to want it more. And I don't think that's so much of a disparity on the Panthers as it is just, uh, you know, when you were just asking like what makes, what gets them there? And you kind of, you mentioned uh, the experience and, and kind of brushed past it, but I really don't think that that's given enough credit for, for the guys like Tampa and, and Cooper as well, like in terms of coaching, like it may be experience, but coaching is also experience because when they were losing in the first round, when they were getting swept in the first round, when they lost in the Stanley cup final a couple of years before that, they had all these years of promise um, and they never really achieved it until after going through all that crap. And it's not just the players that go through that. It's Cooper as well. He's learning things in the playoffs along the line. So I, you know, I really think that that's, that's an intangible that's not being given enough credit at this point. And I'm not saying that to take any attention away from the Panthers because they needed to be better. They showed how good they could be and they weren't anywhere close to that in the series against Tampa. Maybe, you know, the first two periods of game one, uh, most of the game two, uh, and then most of the game four. But that's, you know, that's not going to win you a series, particularly against the defending champs. Um, so I, again, just I hope that they learned a lot from this, you know, the six games last year and the uh, 10 games this year, you know, hopefully that 16 games of knowledge is going to be enough to, you know, maybe teach them the lessons that it took Tampa years to learn, but you know, that we're, we're really not going to know. I still think though, that you have to find a way to get this roster to still be like, yeah, you won 122 points this year and that's awesome, but there's always room to improve. And I think that that's, I'm just looking like, where could they improve? They already, you know, they set scoring records. Like they, it's not goal scoring. That's the problem. 
Obviously, I think that they could do a little bit better defensively. Uh, I think that it might behoove them to trade one of the four you mentioned, not Ekblad, but because I think they, again, another look defensively could help them because sometimes the defense is a little too aggressive. I think one of the things they could do is make a change to defensive coach, you know, maybe change old Samuelson. They changed coaches last year in the off season. It's always not a bad idea to freshen that up and maybe a new approach defensively could help. These are spitballing ideas, but I still think that they could upgrade in some small areas and, you know, when you have the ability to still upgrade in small areas, I think that you've got to take advantage of it because you're not going to have that ability when Jonathan Uberdo presumably signs a new contract that includes a big raise and they have to deal with the Sergei Bobrovsky question. I think obviously you're a good person to talk about this with goaltending as we start to wrap this up. There's been a lot of scuttle about Bobrovsky lately and it's really interesting because in this postseason, if you told me the Panthers were going to get swept, I'm like, oh, Bobrovsky completely melted down and fell apart. But he was the most consistent Panther in the 10 games. He had a perfectly good postseason. I think I saw Jay Fresh said that he had four goals saved above average. And before of that, if you had told me that they were going to have a four goals saved above average Bobrovsky, I'm like, oh, they're going to win the cup. Because goaltending is good. But now there's also the talk about moving him because of the contract and because you have Spencer Knight. So where, where, do, we, where do we stand on that? Because I'm on the, uh, the position where I would keep Bobrovsky for one more year. And you have to have to explore what's going on around the league because his trade value is now up because he played pretty well this season. But that's another one of those roster decisions that's really difficult. I think, and you just touched on it, I think right now his value is higher than it's been since, uh, since he signed with Florida. What that means, Bill Zito is working the phones right now and finding out. Um, you know, there's been there's been some talk uh, from some well-known people or from some well-informed people that I know that uh, Zito has been maybe, you know, not not really exploring trades, more just kind of testing the market to see if there is one, perhaps for Sergey Bobrovsky. Because I, you know, just wiping away that salary when you've got Spencer Knight, you know, he's he's going to finish up his ELC. Uh, I believe next season will be the last year. Yeah. Yes. Next season will be the last year of his ELC. So, you know, he'll be get a decent thing, you know, he'll be RFA. So it's not like you have to worry about losing him. Um, But even, you know, you can, if you're able to get some kind of, you know, if you can get Bob, he's got $40 million over the next four years on the books, you can probably supplant that between night and, you know, a a less expensive option. I mean, certainly, you know, just, you know, looking around the league, there's plenty of goaltenders that are decent above average goalies that are making much less than Sergey Bobrovsky. but again, bright side, if you can't get rid of Bob and his contract, at least he's playing better right now than you've seen him play in a Panther sweater. Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility for a goaltender, you know, particularly one like Bob, who's known for his work ethic. Um, you don't have to worry about him being out of shape or anything like that. So, you know, his uh, advanced age, you know, he's 33 right now. Um, you shouldn't play into the fact as, as much as, you know, it would with other goaltenders perhaps, but um, I, I think it's going to come down to whether there's uh, anybody out there willing to take on that big salary. I don't know if he did enough last season and in the playoffs to, to, to garner that from another team, but who knows? Uh, you know, we've seen much crazier deals than, than the, potentially this deal. We've seen much crazier things happen um, with big contracts. Uh, so, you know, who knows? Uh, but, and I will just say, uh, just to touch on your last point real quick on uh, improving the roster outside of goaltending, 
this is the same GM that found, you know, Carter Verhage for two years, $2 million, that signed Anthony Duclair on the cheap, that found uh, Gus Forsling on the, on the uh, waiver wire heap. Uh, so it's not like out of the realm of possibility to improve the team with really good players uh, that maybe, you know, just don't discount Zito and his guys for finding uh, diamonds in the rough because they've shown that they, they, it's not just a once-in-a-lifetime type deal. They, these guys are looking for them. I mean, even Ryan Lombard, for crying out loud, the guy – uh, just got a raise and he's still making under a million dollars a year. And he, you know, for what he does and for what you're talking about in terms of, you know, small improvements here or there, uh, I, I do think there are options to be had. I just wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't expect any like big moves. Doesn't mean, a, you know, like Carter Hagee, that move get raise anybody, anybody's eyebrows when they first signed him a couple of years ago? No, he's been on the top line ever since. So, you know, the, to say that they can't make improvements, I think, to, to steal a term from your co-host would be naive. I think that uh, Bill Zito has proven that he can certainly do that. It's going to be interesting to see what they look for. I think it's going to be telling to see what they look for because teams in their situation don't often blow things up. And even though, you know, you see things on Twitter. That no, they're, really these guys aren't blowing anything. They're not, no, 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 of course <laughs> not. But I'm saying like they have to find ways to marginally improve. And even that that means taking a step back in the regular season. So I'll get you out of here on this. We obviously appreciate your time. What do you think this team looks like on opening night next year? Are we going to – like, that comes with coaching, that comes with roster. Like, I don't think we're going to see major changes. But where do you think the biggest change comes? Because you don't exit the playoffs the way they did without some sort of change. So where do you think that biggest change is coming? Maybe it's just in a mindset and approach, but where is the biggest change coming heading into opening night next year? Oh, man, that's a – that's a layered question, Matt. Um, let's see. The biggest change, I mean, potentially it would be behind the bench, right? If the, that's that's the big the question mark that's looming over it, because that could filter down into a lot of other areas that could change. So let's let's just kind of let's just assume, for the sake of your question, that Bruno is still behind the bench. So the biggest change, if if they continue on this path and are continuing with this coach. Um, I think the biggest change would be attitude and mindset of the team as a whole. Uh, I think they, it's, it's like another year of maturity, another, and perhaps next season, it would be a little bit different because they just went and they just had this epic regular season and ultimately didn't mean shit. Right. Uh, forgive. Sorry. If you have to believe who cares, who cares? Okay. <laughs> different podcasts, different rules, but, um, there, there, there are they, no they, rules in why hockey there never have been fair enough. Throw out the rule book. Um, have you, you haven't heard some of my rants on this podcast in the past and our rants. I mean, there are no rules. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I, I, it's good to know. I definitely keep that in the back of my mind. Um, We're here to have fun. I mean, as much as we cover the hockey team. Is fun. Are, hockey is supposed to be fun. Hockey's I mean, we, we, we cover the team, but I mean, again, people sometimes say like, no, we do want them to win. So it's, it's but you're right. But yeah, I think it just, it boils down to like what we basically, I feel like we've been kind of touching on it this entire time is just that this team, like, in terms of size, strength, you know, all those uh, attributes, physical attributes, they're there. Like they, this team as is, is good enough to win the Stanley cup talent wise. Uh, but there are intangibles that play into that. And that's what they're learning. And I think next season, you're going to see a much more mature Panthers team, uh, particularly from the veterans, from Barkovs, Huberdos, Ekblads, guys that you count on that maybe didn't, and not maybe they didn't perform to, what's expected of them and what they expected themselves during the postseason, And I'm sure that they're going to take that a little bit personally, and they're going to have a couple of months to stew over it. So if they're the biggest change I would expect, if Bruno is still the coach uh, would just be a more mature 
a little bit maybe a darker team next year with um, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, uh, which I think would be a good thing. So again, David, where can everybody find your work if they aren't already following you, which would be amazing if you follow this podcast and don't follow David already. Uh, I appreciate that, Matt. Um, you can find me on Twitter at David's work for all of my daily coverage of the Panthers and other silly things that I tweet about hockey. Um, all my written coverage goes on to local10.com um, or there's a local 10 app. Um, I have the Chirping the Cats podcast. I just put up a new episode with me and Aaron Brown from the Hockey News, just kind of venting about the season. Um, and what else? I, I contribute to Five Reason Sports uh, occasionally there. I had the Odd Man Rush Show during the regular season, so that might be an off-season thing that we continue. So there's a lot of different places that you can find me uh, if you're a fan of the Panthers and, uh, and yeah, want to follow what they're up to. Appreciate you hopping on again as we uh, try to still digest what happened. And it might take a little bit longer to digest what happened. But again, thanks for coming on, and we'll talk down the line. Yes, sir. Appreciate the invite, Matt.